This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We offer our deepest respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. We all misbehave sometimes. Wanna change the world, indulge in some bad Hello and welcome to Bad Behaviour. My name is Nicola and today I'm joined by a very special co-host guest, Chedji. Say hi, Chedji. Hi, everyone. So for those who do not know, Chedji is our beautiful editor and Roz couldn't be with us this week, so Chedji is stepping in as co-host. So welcome, welcome, welcome. So lovely to be recording this with you. We're very giddy, but we've been giggling a lot because it's just, it's quite novel to be recording an, an episode of the podcast together. Normally Chedji has to spend hours sifting through the absolute BS that Roz and I talk sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's yeah fun. yeah it's yeah <laughs> another reason i'm giddy is because i haven't seen nicola in ages it's, you know just messaging over like facebook and stuff and now it's so nice to see you i know yes with for context we're on facebook messenger so we get to see each other other's face it's very visceral it's a great experience for all except for you because you don't get to see us you just get to hear us Um, (laughs) but know that we look wonderful the light is catching all of our cheekbones and right now i look poreless completely absolutely poreless that skin honey it looks beautiful and chedji's hair is gorgeous as well so just imagine two hot women talking to each other and talking to you. (laughs) That was so bad. You're going to have to cut that. (laughs) Anyways, we have a really exciting episode this week. So this is an episode that I've wanted to do for a long time. I'm really, really passionate about fat liberation and diet culture and learning about weight stigma and the impacts of that and we are finally getting to do an episode about it which is so exciting this week we have some really incredible things to talk about with an incredible guest and we really hope you enjoy yeah guys we really hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast please be sure also to check us out on instagram at bad behavior podcast My name is Caroline Dooner, and I'm the author of The Fuck It Diet book, and I run The Fuck It Diet website and Instagram, and I truly just fell into writing about food and eating and the way we relate to our bodies as I was trying to heal my own relationship with food. And I started learning all about fat phobia and weight stigma and health at every size, and honestly, that was such a humongous game changer for me. And I just felt like, why doesn't anybody know about this? Why is this such like niche and like not mainstream information? It was blowing my mind. And it was the only thing that allowed me to have a better relationship with food and my body. So I started writing about it like on a blog that I expected nobody to read. I called it the fuck a diet because that's how I felt. It's just grown because enough people resonated with it And what was the journey that led you to write that book? 
So when I was 14 or 15, it's, it's a little bit of a blur, but I was at like an early teen. I was diagnosed with PCOS. I was told by my doctor, don't gain weight, go on a low fat diet, which was odd because the whole world was like pivoting from low fat to low carb, like at that time in the early 2000s, but they were still in like the 80s, 90s prescription of a low fat diet. Eat a low fat diet, exercise, don't gain weight, we'll put you on the pill, done. And I was like, okay, I can do that. And my mom and I, you know, that, that was like early internet and we were like Googling all about it. And it's really scary. Like it makes it sound like your body's not your own anymore. Like it's, you're just going to devolve into like disease basically. And that the only way to manage it or cure it, I was like, I'm going to cure this is diet and exercise, but especially dieting, restrictive dieting and intentional weight loss backfires 95 to 97% of the time and leads to weight cycling, which leads to insulin resistance. It's like, okay, you just prescribe something that literally could exacerbate what is apparently causing this issue. So there are big problems with that. But in my head, I believed that this was really important for me. I even remember thinking like, well, other people can be fat, but I can't because I have this health problem. So I need to be obsessed with weight and I need to be obsessed with food. And immediately I became a an extreme binge eater. I would stick perfectly to the diet for maybe two, three months. And then I would just like go on a many month bender of eating everything. And I felt horrible about myself. I felt no self-control. I was scared. I was like, what the hell is wrong with me? Like it felt, you know, sticking to a diet felt like the most important thing in my life and I couldn't do it. So I dieted on and off. My life goal was to finally find the perfect diet. I twisted this weird belief that if I could find the right diet and stick to it perfectly, it would heal my body and I would stop having these cravings for quote unquote bad food. I would stop binging. And it was just a matter of willpower, the right diet, dedication, spontaneous, miraculous healing, and then happiness, beauty, and success. It was all I thought about, and it, it was never healthy, ever, 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 ever healthy that way. And then I even, like, I had read the intuitive eating book, and I interpreted it as, again, I was like, okay, weight diversity. Like, I, I didn't even, like, keep it in my brain. I was like, okay, sure, but not for me because I have this health problem. I can't. So I can learn to eat intuitively, but I, I have to be thin. So I like twisted it into a diet immediately. And then I spent many, many years thinking that I was quote unquote eating intuitively, but I was really just like obsessed with quote unquote listening to my hunger and eating the smallest amount possible. And I thought that I was this healed intuitive eater, but I was still just as obsessed with weight, just as obsessed with food. It was, you know, just a diet in sheep's clothing. 10 years into my dieting, I was, you know, mid 20s. I never got my period. You know, I had lots of PCOS symptoms and I blamed it on not eating well enough. Meanwhile, all of the dieting that I did for 10 years could easily have been causing or just exacerbating some of the other symptoms that I had. And so it was honestly impossible to tell what was what. And then it was on my birthday when I made all these paleo treats and I binged on all of them and I felt so sick. It like having that seed planted, it hit me. And I was like, okay, I've been trying to lose weight for 10 years. Before when I tried to heal 
my relationship with food with pseudo intuitive eating because I twisted it, I was ignoring the weight piece. I was ignoring the fact that, you know, that was the driving force and the driving factor for me. And there was absolutely no, no way to listen to my body or to heal my relationship with food if I was micromanaging weight. And so that was the moment that I was like, I think I know what I have to do. I was also an actor at that point, which was another like reason that I thought I had to be thin. I was like, I need to quit because I can't heal like going into audition rooms. I need to let myself eat as much food. I just like knew in my bones. I was like, I just need to like eat myself to a place where my body trusts that there is food. I just like had this weird sense that that was what I needed to do. And I knew that I had to let myself gain weight. And I had absolutely no idea what that would look like. And I knew that it would be like emotionally hard for someone who had had this extremely disordered relationship with food, but I knew that it was the only way. And I started writing about it immediately because I started researching. I read the health at every size book. I read fat activist book. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is what we're all missing. This is why we're all, we all think we're food addicts, but it's actually this culture and this weird belief that everyone's a food addict and this weird belief that everyone would be thin if they just followed blah, 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 not true. And that was it. And then I was like, so pissed that I was like, fuck it. And then I was like, I'm just going to buy a website called the fuck a diet and start writing about what I'm learning and experiencing. And would you be able to explain what diet culture is? Diet culture is pretty much the culture that we live in. And it's a culture that has these beliefs about food and weight. So some of the beliefs of diet culture would be that being thin is healthy, being fat is unhealthy, we should all be making sure we don't eat too much food, we should feel guilty if we eat quote unquote bad food, the belief that we all have ultimate control over our body size, the normalization of complaining about weight, complaining about food, bonding over weight loss, bonding over how horrible we feel about weight gain, parents complaining about their weight to their kids, parents thinking it's justified to really focus on weight with kids. Basically, a culture that believes that it is good and healthy and morally responsible and important for us all to be fucking obsessed with food is what diet culture is. Unexamined we feel broken. We feel, especially if we're someone who is unsuccessfully restricting food. And I always argue that disordered eating to eating disorders is a spectrum. At the far other end, we have a healthy relationship with food. And then we go through disordered eating. And then when it's extremely severe and it takes over, that's an eating disorder. It is a spectrum and it's not clear cut, I would say. But most people, when they restrict, their body fights back, even if it's over a longer period of time. And they start binging or they their body starts gaining weight back no matter what they do. But, you know, there's a small amount of people who would never identify themselves as having an eating disorder or even disordered eating because it's so normalized in our culture to be obsessed with food and weight, but who are extremely successfully, and I put that in quotes, in air quotes, successfully restricting and keeping weight off their whole lives. And there's probably, most of those people are probably naturally thin to begin with. So, you know, they will claim that it's all their habits when maybe it's only half their habits and half the fact that they just have a smaller body anyway. But because restricting food and being obsessed with food and over-exercising is so 
normalized and even applauded in our culture. People have no idea that what they're doing is disordered, but it's the people I would say, like most of the people, and this is not true across the board, there are anomalies. There are anomalies, but they are rare. And because we don't have literacy around what is disordered eating and what isn't, we can't see it for what it is. But I really do think that the people who can diet and keep weight off, you know, long term, meaning like five, 10, 20 years, have restrictive eating disorder, whether they know it or not, whether their doctor knows it or not, because it's so, you know, normalized in our culture, and whether they look like it or not, because you don't have to look emaciated at all to have a restrictive eating disorder. In fact, a lot of fat people who have been either forced on diets or forced themselves on diets their whole lives. The amount of DMs I've gotten from people and comments I've gotten from people saying, I have been in a larger body my entire life and I've barely eaten my entire life. And I always assumed I wasn't working hard enough, Every working hard enough in quotes, of course. Everyone assumes that I like eat all this food and actually what they have is anorexia and anorexia and under eating even if you're in a larger body comes along with horrible physical health ramifications and often those are blamed on their weight not understanding if they are only eating like a thousand calories a day they have anorexia so it's just so twisted and because we have this belief that we all have ultimate control over our weight and our body size i think that is the biggest thing that keeps people confused i think about disordered eating and how rampant it is. So it was super interesting to hear Caroline talk about her relationship with food and how she had that climactic journey on her birthday where she made all the cupcakes because that experience really resonated with me. The experience of having that out of body experience of looking at yourself and your relationship with food and kind of realising that it's not quite normal. And I think for me, that's I've had a couple of moments of that and they've been really hard to navigate. But I was wondering what you thought about diets, Cheji, and if you what your experience of them are. I think like most women, I have been on a diet a couple of times in my life. And a lot of the time, like when I was dieting, it was like when I was back at home and it was um, like it ended up being like a family thing. So like you're counting calories and like weighing your food and stuff. And it felt it felt fine because it was like me, my siblings, like mom, we were all doing it. And when I lived away from home, I also diet. And like for the first few days, you're like on this wonderful high of yes, dieting. Yes, I'm doing great. Of all these wonderful recipes that you will never cook again because they are not part of your normal meal plan. I got to a point where, you know what? Nah, this is too much effort. Also, you're only on them for so long and then you stop. Like this is not... Like the idea was basically like, I need to find a lifestyle, you know, you know, that wonderful word It needs to be part of your lifestyle. It sounds stupid and you say it and a part of me was just like rolling my eyes when I first heard it. But then I was just like, you know what, it just needs to be part of like an, an everyday thing. And the intuitive eating thing, actually, my little sister brought it up to me earlier this year. And um, <laughs> I told her that sounds very new agey. And I was like very dismissive of it. I was like, that just sounds like new agey nonsense. And then I kind of thought about it and I was like, I guess that's kind of what I had decided to do was just like, okay, I'll see what I want to eat 
and then see how it feels, you know. It's so interesting you use the word lifestyle because even that word I think is being co-opted by the by diet culture and by this like whole trend of wellness and it's like it's almost like diet culture has shifted and like transformed into new clothes so that we don't know when something's being advertised to us as like a lifestyle choice we're like oh my god cool that sounds so healthy and then you know you do a bit more research and you're like oh just kidding that's a diet that wants me to you know, lose half my body fat and like be constantly starving. So it's so interesting how deeply ingrained it is. But I feel the whole giving up thing as well. It took me a long time to get to where I am now of like really not giving a shit. And that's only half the time. Like a lot of the time I do give a shit and it really makes me sad. And like (laughs) I, I think of all time and energy that, I've spent in my life caring about food and diets and not in a lovely way where like you're celebrating what you're eating and like you're nourishing your body in a way where I'm like guilty and upset and like all this food has this good or bad connotation. Like it's so, has such a negative emotion attached to it. Like I think of the word guilty, like I've totally used that, that, um, like, oh, I'll just, I'm going to be a bit naughty, you know, like I'm just going to be a bit, you know, sneaky and have have half a, a dessert, you know, and it's ridiculous. Like, what does that matter? Eat the whole cake if you want to. Like, let the world give us permission to do that because sometimes cake is the only thing that makes stuff better. <laughs> <laughs> it's meant to be like a fun, like naughty thing, but at the same time, Yeah, it's like you can only have it sometimes and, like, if you've been good, you know, only eating celery as a snack and, like, you know, weighing yourself meticulously. It takes the pleasure part out of it because when you're enjoying it, you're, like, deeply, deeply emotional about a tiny slice of happiness that you've allowed yourself. When I was, like, actually dieting and stuff, like, Sunday was, like, cheat day Sunday or Saturday and it would basically be a day for me just to like eat cake or this big old packet of chips I need to get onto the um, you know treadmill and I need to burn 500 calories worth of this before I eat it at the time I was just like it it was a stressful thing the moment I kind of stopped caring was when I realized that when I was at my ideal weight I was not happy And I think it was just an acceptance of like, you know what, I like the way I look now. If I end up losing weight, cool. But that's so good too. I think it's really liberating to hear that as well because it's hopeful that for people to hear that there is the option of living a life where how you look and losing weight isn't one of your central goals. Like I think the headspace that it takes to constantly like what you were talking about, count your calories and think about if you're going out to dinner, doing extra exercises or shifting your whole world around so that you can constantly be in this state of deficit. It just takes up so much headspace. And so kind of shedding that and learning more about intuitive eating and learning about the impact of diet culture on different types of bodies it's one of those things that as I've started to learn more I've started to be really angry about it and 
then that's kind of given me permission to step back in my own life and not give as much of a shit. I was talking to someone the other day about how I think if this pandemic had have happened three years ago or so, I would have been so, so toxic about, you know, losing weight or like using this time to completely transform my body or, you know, making sure I wasn't emotional eating, even though the world is in a state of disaster. And I think I'm really grateful and glad that I've taken the time to just heal that toxic relationship a little bit because now when I you know experience this pandemic now for sure my chocolate intake has like tripled as it should you know <laughs> like there's no it's yeah. there's a reasonable explanation for that and I'm really glad that I've shed some of the guilt that normally comes with with food and that did for so many years with me. Definitely, I do not think I'm at the end portion of my journey. Like, I I feel good about my relationship with food, but I have a long, long way to go. It's certainly better than it was, but it's not amazing. So I think that's what's really wonderful about listening to Caroline speak about her journey and how it's completely transformed her and how there is so many resources out there for us to learn about and I really love the idea of like fighting diet culture and like gearing yourself up with all this information and facts and like really going into it as if it's a fight and something you have to actively unlearn because god damn it's deep like it is deep I find it very interesting that you use the word fight at battle yeah I suppose because for me it does feel like a fight a lot of the time and I have to really to do a lot of work to unlearn stuff that's deep in my unconscious. I remember learning that BMI wasn't real and that blew my mind because my whole childhood I'd constantly tracked my weight on BMI and constantly felt like I was so greedy and lazy because I was classified as like obese or overweight on the BMI scale and to learn that something I tracked myself against for most of my life and hated myself against as well to learn that it wasn't true was absolutely like so confusing and that's been a part of my unlearning with diet culture is just coming across all these things about weight stigma about just like <laughs> healthcare and like access to being able to access a doctor and like how different people have different experiences with that like it's just a crumbling of those capitalist fucking building blocks that the world wants you to <laughs> stick to your whole life it's a fight but it's a good fight like tear that shit down like I'm ready for it I'm ready for this new stage of my life it's really cool to to talk to you about it because I feel like there's that similar sentiment of like thank god we're not where we once were I would love to know if you think that you can choose to lose weight without being part of diet culture is that possible I don't think having weight loss as a goal is helpful to 
healing your relationship with food. And I think that there are people who could say or would say that once you heal your relationship with food and really allow yourself to go through the process that like years down the line or maybe like a couple years into the process, the more normalized it gets and the more you can listen to yourself. You know, I think there are people who are like, once you get there, then maybe you can pay attention to gentle nutrition and, you know, exercising more. But I still think that even then, if you're like, okay, I've healed, now it's time to try and lose weight. I really think that that is extremely triggering to people. I think it backfires 99% of the time. I don't think it's the best way to learn to take care of yourself. But I think that if you learn to take care of yourself, if your body really wants to or needs to lose a certain amount of weight, you will. But not everybody will and not everybody should. And there are so many reasons why people have trouble losing weight or aren't supposed to lose weight or are meant to be in a bigger body. There are so many health reasons. I really think that it muddies the water when people start saying like intuitive weight loss. I think that that's an oxymoron and that you get in your own way and you start second guessing the things you're eating. You start having punitive exercise. Whereas if it was instead, I want to heal my relationship to food. I want to make sure that, you know, once I have a better relationship with food, I'm getting a varied diet. Like I like to say, my God, if you are having a horrible reaction to eating a certain food, please don't eat it. Like I'm not telling you to torture yourself or to like do something to yourself that is very, very clearly something your body doesn't want. But there is nuance there. And what we really want to do is get to a place where we can take care of ourselves and be kind to ourselves and sleep and find movement that is joyful, that is sustainable. Speaking of how it's not possible to, to not be a part of diet culture and it's kind of all around us and takes a lot of work and confrontation to unlearn, what do you think we can do better for the next generation to intervene so that they don't have these same experiences with diet culture that we did? So one of the big things is actually starting to happen and it's very important and it's body diversity in the media, diversity of bodies and races and ability levels in media campaigns, in stories, movies, TV shows. That is so important because if you only see a certain kind of person having TV shows about them, what that means, the subconscious, the, you know, the message that really tells is only people who look like this have stories that are worth telling and watching and talking about. And everyone else is the friend. Everyone else is the comic relief. Everyone else doesn't get it a TV show doesn't get a story, their story isn't important, their B plot, their C plot, that. And stories are our culture and they reflect our culture and they perpetuate and create our culture as well. And so that is so important. And I do see it. I do see it. Like compared to when I was a teenager, there's definitely more diversity. And of course we have a long way to go. Um, but even me, I mean, I am so close, honestly, truthfully, to the th the white thin ideal. And as a teenager, I was like, I am a an ugly monster. Like I, I still watching everything. I was like, I will never be happy or loved or beautiful or unless I can look like that. It messes us all up. And then the people who are further and further and further away from this ideal that we're uplifting and showcasing and in the media, you know, feel even worse and torture themselves even more. So that's a huge piece. And then this is a, a pipe dream for happening immediately. But what I would want to happen is to have 
an understanding and a literacy around disordered eating, how rampant it is, body diversity, and an understanding of health at every size and a more holistic approach to health that is not weight centric. And yes, there are, I mean, again, thank God there are some medical professionals and some, you know, dietitians and um, and therapists who understand this, but there are so many who don't. And so it's still perpetuating this, this thin ideal and weight stigma. And that is such a huge part of the problem. So what I would want is for the mainstream culture to be a kind, supportive, holistic one that understands health at every size and understands what it really means. Because, you know, the, the book is called Health at Every Size, the movement is called Health at Every Size, and people who are resistant to it will say, how can you say that everyone is healthy at every size? And it's like, okay, first of all, clearly didn't read the book. <laughs> but it's not saying that it's saying we can seek health at any size. And that it's not about your size. There's so much more that goes into it. Socioeconomic status affects our health more than anything we eat. Weight stigma affects our health. But having it be this thing where, oh, you're in here and you have this health problem. I'm not going to treat you until you lose weight first. That is not do no harm. That is doing harm actively. And it is not treating the problem. It is, it's missing the mark, but it's so normalized that it's, it's literally like infused into medical school and dietetic school. So that is what really needs to change. And hopefully, hopefully it will slowly, but surely. And you spoke a little bit about thin privilege and the representation and how there's a spectrum of that. You live in a body that's a bit closer to the ideal. I'm wondering if you could speak to a little bit about how you think the book would have been received if you were fat. No question in my mind, it would not have been received as well. People would have been too afraid to read it. You know, people with disordered eating who are petrified about gaining weight. And so in that way, it's almost like a bait and switch. It's like people pick up the book and they're like, ooh, so she eats whatever she wants and she's thin. I want to read this. I want this. And then in the book, I try to be as clear as possible that that is not what this is about. Because if that is what people think it's about when they're finished the book, that's a problem. You know, so I really hope that the good side of it is that it is a bait and switch that I am almost tricking people into learning about something they would be resistant to learning about otherwise. But at the same time, I'm very, very aware. Probably one of the big reasons that people listen to me at all is that I am thin. It's very, very clear to me that people want to listen to what I'm saying because I'm thin and, you know, because of diet culture and because of these beliefs that we have and because of thin privilege, people think that I must know what I'm talking about or that that it worked for me. Like, oh, the fuck a diet worked. And I've even had people in larger bodies be like, well, the fuck a diet worked for you, but it wouldn't work for me. And I was like, well, that's not, I understand why you're saying that, but that's not, that isn't the point of it. But because we live in such a fat phobic society, that is how a lot of people feel. They're like, well, it's easy for you to say. And in some ways it is. I mean, it was, I still went through like a really hard healing process, but it wasn't as hard as it would have been if I'd actually had to go up against fat phobia that was way more directed towards me. Everything that Caroline was speaking about with weight stigma and the privilege that she has from talking about these things existing in a thin body is so interesting to me. And I 
really, really do believe that as a society, as a culture, we all are fatphobic and it is our responsibility to unlearn that fat phobia and to become aware of it and to take steps to correct those beliefs as well because they're really harmful and the trauma of them um, can be really intense. So I'm wondering, obviously most cultures are fat phobic. I think that's generally a rule of thumb. What is fat phobia like in Tanzania? just as a general. And particularly, I'm really interested because you have lived in many different countries. Definite fat phobia in Tanzania. There's definitely always comments about how big you are. They say it as like a, a throwaway comment, like they're not trying to be serious. You always have that one auntie who will greet you and just instead of being like, hey, how you been? It's like, mm, you've, you've gained weight, huh? And you know, and like touch you <laughs> in the area that she believes that you have gained weight. Grab your side of you or like your arm or something. And so it's kind of like, <sighs> deep sigh in and you're just like okay thank you very much uh, a simple hello would have sufficed the assumption i guess you'd make is because it is you know um, a country that is african the curvier body is celebrated but then also in that with that curviness there's that need for like that coca-cola bottle figure you know the small waist there is a celebration of that body type i feel like in particularly with like this body positivity movement as well like people are so afraid to use the word fat you know like they they clothe it in all these different terms like you're you're curvy or you're thick or you're fluffy for so many years I distanced myself so intensely from the word fat because it just like it was in my head the worst thing you could be. It was the worst insult that you could say to someone was that they were fat and it was the worst thing that you could possibly be. So, and I mean, being a fat woman as well, that's really hard to like grapple with that part of yourself and think that you're so less than because of your weight. I really, I think I've spent a lot of time trying to, like, of course, I'm on, you know, as a lot of people are, I'm on a journey of, like, self-love and self-acceptance, blah, 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 all those fancy flowery terms. And, like, the body positivity movement certainly has helped that to an extent, but it's also, it's what you're saying about that hourglass figure. Like, it's hindered it to an extent as well. Like, it's body positivity to a certain size and a certain shape. And that shape is thick and curvy. It's not fat. Do you feel weird about the word fat? Like, is it a weird word to use? Like, would you ever go to your friend, hey, you're fat and it's beautiful? I wouldn't call a friend fat because I think they're just, there's so many like connotations to it. You're lazy. You've, you know, you, don't, you clearly don't care about yourself. You let yourself go, being undesirable. It's probably one of those, like, maybe because I haven't necessarily seen people use it in a sort of, like, positive light. That is the product of the society we live in, right? The word is so far gone from its origin that it's 
it's hard to speak it out loud. It's hard to reclaim it because it has such negative connotations. And that is a product of fat phobia and that is a product of diet culture because the, those same connotations do not exist with the word thin. Like that is not an insult at all. It's not if you called a friend thin, it would not be received in the same way at all. And they're both descriptors, you know. Why does one have all this hate attached to it while the other is just, it's like an aspirational word, you know, it's a compliment. I feel like when you work through what Caroline says in her book about healing your relationship with food and learning about intuitive eating and learning about how 95 to 97% of diets fail and they don't work, stuff like that, I think it gives you the tools to then move into a space of being accepting of fat people and assessing your own internal fat phobia like an unfortunate thing like in in the, like society in general that, that there's always going to be like words that have like this history behind it just thinking about it it's a word that can be quote-unquote reclaimed because even when you think about like the body positive influencers who i follow it's like curvy or like other words and a part of me thinks now is it because it's just like so charged that maybe People are like, curvy is better. In my feed, I see the word fat all the time. I think, honestly, it might just be a case of who you choose to follow because the body positivity movement is very centred towards this, like, size 12 to 18 mark. Like, it's not people who are in what is a fat body like they're quite societally pleasing particularly in the last couple of years there's been this shift towards like women who are thick and like have a big ass and big tits like that's really become mainstream as like an ideal body type but I think while there are some good things about that the body positivity movement being so mainstream it's also really detrimental because it doesn't allow for change to actually happen to the people who need it the most which is you know the size 20 plus people who are actually getting hate on a day-to-day -day basis because of their weight I'm really frustrated with the movement in general because I feel like it hasn't moved beyond this like surface level really consumable I don't I don't know quite how to explain it I think I know what you kind of mean and that the body positivity movement started and then like the mainstream dubs, they co-opt certain sections of it. And then those are celebrated and those are promoted. But the rest is still like in the fringes. I think it's mostly the fashion ones who are co-opted more. I wouldn't ever discount their influence or their impact. It's an interesting conversation that could be adapted for many different spaces. It's like you know, the colorism conversation with trans women passing or not passing and how, like, there's a spectrum of that and in a lot of intersections there exists, like, a, a section where society, a line to which society will accept it and then beyond that line it's a constant struggle to try and get change and to have like really radical conversations about it we definitely need to do another episode about fat liberation and talk to some people who are actually in the movement and who are in bigger bodies I think that's definitely going to be a next step for us I'm equally 
confused by learning about fat phobia as I am empowered, as I am terrified. It's one of those things that has dictated so much of my life and so much of my self-worth, like being so scared of being fat and saying the word and, you know, having that associated with me as well. I'm so excited. <laughs> it's such a passion area for me and like I'm in, in amongst my journey right now. And when you do the workshops and like the book clubs with groups of people, is there any like common thread of like defensiveness that people react to when they've been exposed to all this information that just speaking from my own experience, like it's really hard when you've been told your entire life that like BMI is real and like the language around it is so emotive and like so ingrained in like how I think about myself that it's crazy to unlearn. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm wondering like how people react when you're when they're doing it <laughs> when they're like going through the process yeah well what I see almost across the board is that healing the physical part like the actual physical restriction actually not eating enough food to, to heal that part and to get to a place where your body actually isn't as obsessed with food is the easiest part if you can let yourself do it it because our mental fixation on food is very, very, very affected by if we are restricting. So if we can remove the physical restriction, it actually lessens a lot of the mental fixation on food. And that can happen pretty quickly. It can happen within a couple weeks or a couple months for a lot of people. And there's a shift that happens and it happens soon enough that people say, oh, wow, I do notice a difference. Things are getting better with the way that I actually relate to food. But the part that is very hard for everybody and that lingers way beyond that initial physical shift is the emotional part and the mental part and the whole deal with actually accepting our bodies. You know, it's not across the board that it's always harder for people in larger bodies. I feel like there are some people who are who have a certain mentality where they're like, I've been doing this for long enough that I'm like, honestly so done. It can have a lot to do with like, I have a very supportive husband. My parents are like not giving me a hard time over it. Or like it can have to do with a support system. It is hard and harder for people in larger bodies because just like you said, they are up against a world and a culture that is constantly telling them that they shouldn't be eating or that they shouldn't like themselves. That is still also the hardest part and the part that takes the longest for people, even if they're in thinner bodies relatively. That is the part that I think takes years to work through. My book and the tools and the emotional part and the mental part are meant to give you actionable things to kind of like dig into to figure out, okay, how can I start to untangle this mess that I've been put into? How can I figure out what's ruling me and why I feel so horrible about myself and what's triggering this response to begin to actually unpack all of that? But And I think you can make great progress in a year. I really do. But the expectation that you're snapping your fingers and now I'm a happy person and I'm never going to be mean to myself again and I'm never going to feel uncomfortable in my body again, I, it's just not that simple. Weight stigma and the effect that it has on health 
because it's this catch-22. People in larger bodies are constantly told that their body is wrong and they need to be losing weight and they need to be ashamed and they need to be stressed, you know, micromanaging what they eat and are treated poorly and essentially told to feel horrible about themselves. And that alone, that is weight stigma. It is a trauma. It is constant. There are constant microaggressions and it affects our health. It is a stressor. It raises cortisol, it raises adrenaline, it can deteriorate health over, you know, a longer period of time and it can and it does. And the fact that we don't have any understanding around how that is affecting health and actually weaponizing that against people in larger bodies and saying you are the one who is hurting your own health, not realizing that saying that alone hurts people's health. That is the thing that I wish everybody understood so we could stop doing that. And in any of the resources that I mentioned earlier about like, you know, starting to do research on this, you can read more about that and more about like actually how that affects health and and how widespread that is. And it's just like the conversation that I feel like is happening sort of on a way larger scale right now about racism and how much racism affects health. And it's a trauma and it it has like such lasting impacts. And it is a very similar dynamic with like the high stress hormones that happens with, with weight stigma. We have had such a wonderful time talking to Caroline. It has been so lovely to hear her candid thoughts about her journey to intuitive eating, her experience with riding the fuck it diet and some tips and tools for us all to take into thinking about how we can have a good relationship with food and some things that we should be looking into further as well. So I really appreciate her time and I hope that all of you enjoyed the episode. This has certainly sparked something within me. I have a lot to learn, as I always say. (laughs) I feel like every episode gives me action points, but this one is of particular interest to me and I'm really passionate about it. So I can't wait to research and bring you more content about this part of society so thank you so much for listening to bad behavior thank you to our beautiful editor chedji who is behind the mic it was a pleasure we all misbehave sometimes want to change the world indulge in some bad